0: I wonder whether you're one of our children sitting in with us today or one of the bigger people. Do you ever get confused when you read your Bible? Do you ever have a few questions that sort of jump out as you're reading? What does that mean? Or why is that there? Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 and let me show you something. Matthew chapter 10. Last week being a Being a teacher by trade before being a pastor, maybe still a teacher by trade, um, always take the opportunity for a teaching moment, don't you? Uh, Steph was reading alongside me as we had the Bible readings read last week, and she pointed to something on the page and said sort of this expression of confusion and pointed to something else, and that doesn't make sense. What's going on here? She thought it was quite confusing and maybe even a bit silly that in my Bible, chapter 10 has this bold heading, the 12 apostles. And then verse 1 says, And he called to him his 12 disciples. Well, hang on, why is the heading apostles? And then it goes straight to disciples. And then in verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. So you've got apostles, disciples. Which one is it, Dad? Matthew, come on, get yourself into gear. What are you doing here? It was a good pick-up on her behalf, but it was also a wonderful opportunity to... Uh, to teach and I want to share that with you because it's at this very point that Jesus disciples or at least these 12 disciples literally become apostles. Between verses 1 and 2 that's what happens. Why? Because the word apostle, does anyone know what it means? Yeah, it means one who is sent. One who is sent. And this is Jesus gathering his 12 and this yes, they're named, and that's there for a particular reason, as we heard last week, the twelve special disciples. But it's at this point that those twelve Jesus gathers and says, I'm sending you out, and I want you to go out at least to this point, just to Israel, and speak the gospel of the kingdom. And you're going to go out with my authority and with power to heal and cast out demons. At this point, they are the sent ones from Jesus to Israel. They become apostles. A bit later on in the New Testament, if we think of Apostle with a capital A, they had to be sent by God, but they also had to witness Jesus' life. They had to be with him in his ministry and witness his resurrection. You can read of that in Acts 1. But Apostle with a little a simply means one who is sent. And here the disciples are being sent by Jesus into Israel as his heralds really ambassadors for the kingdom they go in his name the name of the king and they go with the power of the kingdom of heaven and we pick it up this morning in verse 26 or actually even before that verse 16 as we heard last week as jesus sends these 12 disciples now apostles he warns them yeah i'm sending you out with the power of the kingdom but watch out i'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. If you'll excuse the pun, Jesus doesn't pull the wool over their eyes, does he? He knows what they're heading for. He makes it crystal clear that they are going to be confronted with opposition. Not just that, there's going to be predators. (laughs) Not just people who will resist them, but people who are out to get them. Even as they go out healing people, liberating people and, and speaking the good news there are wolves out there in fact what we hear this morning really is that there's no Switzerland there's no neutral territory when it comes to the kingdom of God and the gospel proclamation there are sheep and there are wolves a bit later on in Matthew we're going to hear that there's sheep and there's goats but for now it's sheep and wolves there are predators out there there are those who are worthy and those who are not there are those who receive christ those he sends and there are those who don't receive him those who reject the message and the messenger and the master in all of that there's going to be varying degrees of danger division opposition, persecution, might just be simple rejection, no thanks, shut the door, don't want to hear from you, like you might when you get one of those phone calls. Or you could be delivered over to death. It's a fair scope, isn't it? But as we see this morning, there's no sitting on the fence. There will be no one left sitting on the fence when it comes to the message of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. We might like to think There are people out there who are just ambivalent to the gospel, maybe peacefully agnostic in their thinking or pluralistic. Yeah, all paths lead to heaven. It's okay as long as you believe in something. But one thing Jesus makes clear this morning is that there's actually a clear line of division. And where that line gets blurred or a little distorted, he brings his sword and actually marks it very clearly once again. Like a batter at the crease. Jesus leaves us and his disciples under no illusions. As we heard at the end of last week, verse 25, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If they're going to treat me the way they're going to treat me, and you watch how they treat me, it's going to be no different for those who follow me. They're going to treat him with suspicion and scepticism and even accuse him of belonging to the devil and working for the evil one. It'll be no different for his disciples. And so, picking it up from verse twenty six, and as Ali read, and as we if you look at your Bibles, verse twenty six begins with so it might be a therefore, but it's a so because there's division, because there's opposition, because I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, watch out, run away, keep your head down, don't be too loud about it. It's not what Jesus says, though, is it? might be what we think there's danger out there so be careful that's not what he says at all he actually says because of all of that have no fear of them don't be afraid because there are folk out there on the prowl wolves looking out for the weak listening out for the vulnerable sheep what i tell you in the dark say in the light What you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Instead of fear, you can be filled with an almost brazen boldness as I send you out with the message and power of the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Yes, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but if you don't know it already, you will soon. If I can borrow from the Gospel of John, even as I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, I'm your good shepherd. And I will lay down my life for you. So have no fear. I'm not a hired hand who runs and hides to save his own skin the moment trouble comes. I will stick by you. I am your good shepherd. And I will lay down my life for you. I'm the shepherd sent by God to tend, to feed you, to protect and provide. As Nat shared with us last week, this is my mission, not yours. I'm the Lord of the harvest. You 12, I'm sending. You're the first answer to that prayer that you just prayed. It's interesting, isn't it? Be careful when you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. You have to be willing to actually maybe be the answer to that prayer as the disciples are here. They were sent into the harvest. The very reference Jesus makes or Matthew makes here of Jesus having compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd, Nat spoke to us from Ezekiel last week and then this week I took it from Micah. It's an Old Testament image, this shepherd imagery to do with the elders and the the priests of the Old Testament but also to do with the king. The king was to be the shepherd of the people. To rule, yes, but to defend, protect and provide for his people, for his sheep. David was to be shepherd over Israel. The one promised would be the son of David. Moses, way back in Numbers 27, we hear him um, praying to the Lord, would you appoint someone to look after these people when I'm gone, that that they would not be as sheep without a shepherd. And Joshua was appointed. 2 Samuel 5, the Lord promises David he would be a shepherd for his people, Israel. And as good as those men were, they came, Moses, Joshua, David and others, they came, they shepherded the folk and they went and they didn't do it perfectly they weren't without fault but here is jesus whom god has promised all the way through and he's the one fulfilling everything that he's promised a shepherd would do for his people feed them tend them protect defend them all of it fulfilled in jesus and so as he sends his disciples into the world he says have no fear i've got your back i'm your shepherd." Don't be afraid. I will feed you. I will protect you. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. We heard that back in Matthew 5 and 6, didn't we? I'm your king, sent by God, and I will speak for you. Before him, I will fight for you and I will lay my life down for you. And I've got plans and promises for you that are better than anything you could ever imagine. So have no fear. Now, he's saying that to these 12 apostles being sent out with the message of the kingdom what do we do when we're gripped with fear in the world today when we're threatened with pain persecution when we feel weak and vulnerable like a lamb has lost its mum out in the paddock when we feel like we're sheep in the midst of walls who are out to get us It's worth remembering this, isn't it? That we have a shepherd in Jesus Christ. A good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. For you. And this is not just some positive psychology. You know, get your mind in the right place, just a word of comfort without any grounds. No, three times in the space of eight verses... Jesus says, don't be afraid. Verse 26, have no fear of them. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Verse 31, fear not. Three times he says, don't be afraid. And he gives four reasons, four reasons why they shouldn't be afraid. Verse 26, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be made known. The gospel which is going to spread by word of mouth, all that Jesus is doing as he brings the kingdom of heaven here, it's going to be proclaimed loud and clear. There are people who are going to want to try to squash it and suppress it and keep it quiet, but no way, it's actually going to be proclaimed from the rooftops. And the sin and the injustice and the oppression that's taking place in their day and in ours, that is all going to be exposed, it's all going to be revealed and it will be brought to justice as the light of the world shines in the darkness. So have no fear as you go out in the name of the King. Secondly, verse 28, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. As followers of Jesus, as God's kingdom children, we're to have kingdom perspectives we to have an eternal perspective because that's what our hope is it's an eternal hope and it's secure isn't it guarded for us in heaven where christ is he's looking after it for us until we get there with him and so we have this eternal perspective yes we might even lose our life here on earth jesus is saying to his disciples but they cannot take away your soul they cannot take away your eternal security they cannot rob you of your salvation And it would be daunting, wouldn't it, to know that your life is on the line. And in some places, you can read about it, you can pray about it, you can look. There are places where becoming a Christian immediately puts your life on the line, immediately excommunicates you from your family, as we're about to read. And yet Jesus says, don't be afraid. He's not diminishing the seriousness of that, the the gravity of it. But he wants to emphasise the glory of what awaits us. They cannot rob you of your salvation. They might kill this mortal flesh. Guess what? It's going to go away anyway. And you're going to be given a resurrection body and glory like you've never seen or ever known. Remember that. Don't be afraid. Thirdly, from verse 27 to 31, don't fear those who are out to get you, the wolves or anyone else. Because you are worth more than you'll ever know to your Heavenly Father. How's the old song go? His eyes are on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Even when a little bird falls to the ground. He knows it. He knows the hairs on your head. Fear not. You're of more value than many sparrows. Lachlan. You're worth more value to God than you will ever know. Monica, you're precious to him. Jemima, he loves you more than you ever know. He knows everything about you. So fear not. Because you're worth more value than many sparrows. And the fourth reason Jesus gives why we should have no fear of any opposition, and pain and persecution is as we trust in him, he will acknowledge us before his father in heaven. Jesus is saying, you're not doing this on your own. More than that, you're not doing this for nothing. Have no fear. Acknowledge me before others and I will acknowledge you before my father on his throne in heaven. Four great reasons for us not to be afraid, isn't it? Four reasons connected to the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So as Jesus says, have no fear. Now, I don't want to ignore the bits in between. There is the flip side of some of that as well, isn't there? You acknowledge me before others, Jesus says, and I will acknowledge you before My Father in heaven. But verse 33 Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father is in heaven. Again, there's no middle ground here, is there? And if it doesn't for you, it definitely made me stop and think that verse. And one thing that jumped to my mind was Peter. Here's Peter, he's one of the disciples, apostles sent out. He's been told these very words, Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father. No wonder he wept that night in the courtyard when he denied Jesus three times. Conscience pricked, just denied my friend and saviour, the Lord, the Messiah. More than that, I think. I reckon these words might have come back to Peter. Peter what have i done am i lost forever i've just denied knowing my lord and he said if you deny me before men i'll deny you before my father that would have been pretty scary for peter i reckon don't you think and i'm sure there are those among us here this morning who have actually felt and done the same And then that night or straight after or sometimes, if not by commission, actually saying, no, I don't know him, don't go to church. Maybe just by omission. Oh, what would you do on the weekend? Oh, I just worked around the garden. Don't mention church or youth group or Bible study. And we just sort of leave it out for fear of how we might get, what response we might get. And we too, I think, wonder like Peter, oh, what will that mean? How will that work out for me when our own conscience is pricked? And we read this verse and the doubts and fears rise up and yet we know from Peter's life don't we in the Lord's mercy (laughs) that he wasn't lost he didn't forever deny Jesus Christ kept hold of him just as he prayed for him that his faith would not fail Jesus restored him redeemed him and actually grew him up in a whole different way because of that very dynamic that very matter Three times later in Peter's life, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And I reckon that little phrase, more than these, we don't know what Jesus was referring to. That it might have been the fish they just caught. Do you love me more than you're fishing, Peter? Are you got ready to give that, maybe? More than these other disciples that are with you at the moment? More than your own family? We can't be sure. We're not told what Jesus is referring to. But I wonder again if those words brought Peter back to these words so soon after, if you deny me. Because in verses 34 to 39, particularly verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me, Peter, do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than anything else? To which Peter cried, what did he say? Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And isn't that the cry of our own heart, even when we wrestle in the world, confessing our faith and sharing our faith with others? Lord, you know I love you. I'm really struggling here, but Lord, you know... That's the cry of Peter's heart. Three times it took for Peter on that occasion, and he was grieved that Jesus asked him three times. As a sword pierces his own heart, and he sees the love of Jesus for him more than his own love for Jesus. But because of that love for himself, he can't but confess the love of Christ and his love for Christ. And so the sword of the Spirit and the sword of the Word of God, the sword that Christ himself carries, actually has to do a work in our own heart just like it did Peter's, doesn't it? It reveals things, we're told, the living, active Word of God. Cuts to the heart, reveals it actually for those who receive Christ it cuts out what's dark and defiled and brings back a heart of flesh a new heart full of delight in him even when we wrestle with sin and the flesh in the world but take heart Jesus knows his sheep and he will not let any one of them be snatched from his hand none of his sheep will be lost yes there will be troubles you'll have doubts you will wobble you will struggle Have no fear. All will be revealed and brought to justice. The worst your enemies can do, as bad as it is, the worst they can do is kill you. They cannot destroy your soul or rob you of eternal life. You're valuable to him, to your heavenly father, more than you know. And Jesus has got your back. Here on earth and in heaven as well before the father. good when someone's got your back we use that term doesn't it but this good shepherd who knows his sheep who lays his life down for them he hasn't just got our back he's watching over us but he tells us he comes armed ready for action bearing a sword verse 34 do not think i've come to bring peace to the earth i've not come to bring peace but a sword it's another verse that stops and makes you think doesn't it it's not what we normally see in the stained glass windows, is it? Jesus, the shepherd with a lamb over his shoulder and his shepherd's staff with a nice little hook on it, with a sword in the other arm? No, not normally. And I've got to admit, when I first read it and start to think about Christmas and carols to sing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, how does this play out? Jesus is saying, I haven't come to bring peace. Mm. Confusing as it might seem on first appearance, Jesus has come to bring peace. We do know that. Can't deny the other references, Old and New Testament. We've heard one of them at least this morning from Micah. He's the Prince of Peace, Isaiah. The shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us to still waters. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ since we've been justified by faith. The angels weren't lying when they said, I bring you good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. So he does bring peace. He has come to bring peace. Not as the world gives, but I do give you peace. But for that peace to come. As he said and wept on his way into Jerusalem that day. Oh, that you knew the things that make for peace. And he said that weeping. Because he knew what it would would mean to bring about peace. Why was he weeping? Because he loved them. Because after centuries of God's chosen beloved people being promised by God all these good things, they still couldn't see it being fulfilled before their very eyes. And they hadn't worked out, (laughs) Isaiah 52 and 53 and all the other references, that for that peace to come, it actually meant the suffering servant being crucified on a cross. that for us sinners to have peace with God it meant the son of God shedding blood for us the things that make for peace and we look at the world today and long for peace don't we peace in our own hearts, peace among the nations and Jesus has come to bring peace even though here he says don't think I have but how he brings that peace it's not just like, oh, let's just play nice everybody, put our different... No, it actually has to come and bring a sword. Judgment has to take place. There actually has to be division where there are enemies that will not lay down their arms. And there has to be victory. There has to be defeat. And that's got to start actually in the heart of each person, doesn't it? Because each and every one of us here is a sinner. We don't want to admit, lots of people don't want to admit they need forgiveness, that we need God's help. We don't like the idea that we need saving from the wrath of God, saving from ourselves, that we actually need to be crucified. Each and every one of us, I've jumped in my notes so now I'm going to confuse everyone. But Each and every one of us has an ego, our self, Our me, my, I want, I will, my agenda, don't we? And the sword actually has to come and deal with that and put it to death if we're to have peace with God. And when it comes to the kingdom of God coming, there cannot be peace unless the enemies of that kingdom are defeated. Some, like Saul of Tarsus, he'll be defeated by being transformed. A revelation of Jesus. And he knows that he's the Lord and he can't. And he's given much to suffer as he proclaims the kingdom. He's changed in one sense from a wolf to a sheep. He's a sheep in wolf's clothing, not a wolf in sheep's clothing. God changes, but there's others who will resist and they will persistently resist and reject the Lord and his kingdom. And there won't be peace until they're defeated once and for all. And that reality, it's glorious reality, actually, because it's how the kingdom of God is brought into being. But on the personal front for us, it can be painful, can't it? When we know loved ones, as I said, there's no sitting on the fence. And we want them on the green pastures, the still waters, but they're there in darkness, resisting Christ, resisting forgiveness not choosing Christ. So this sword that comes, it's painful, isn't it? Mary was told, wasn't she, a sword will pierce your own heart too. Some of us know just how painful it can be. Just as Jesus says, I come and what I bring is I bring the kingdom. This is actually going to divide family. This is going to divide fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. Family and friends are going to become enemies. And some of us know the sharp edge of that sword and the pain it can bring. I don't think any of us want to lose the relationship we have with a loved one, do we? And Jesus is not saying here, you've got to hate your family if you're going to follow me. You've got to disown them. But he is saying if push comes to shove and you have to make a choice, if they actually trying to pull you away from me and they're saying, no, you can't have anything to do with us and him at the same time, then that hard choice is to be made. He warns his disciples, he warns us, draws the line in the sand. If we love the world and anything and anyone in the world more than him, even our own flesh and blood, then he says, you're not worthy of me. That's how he comes and brings a sword, not peace. But the Father's kingdom children, those who receive Christ, Those who know the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they will love him with their whole heart, their mind, their soul and strength. And it's a good thing that he comes as the shepherd with a sword. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm a little sheep out in the paddock and there's a wolf out there ready to come and eat me, I'm really glad the shepherd's got my back and he comes with a sword to protect and defend and kill the enemy. Even death itself is, remember, is one of those enemies. So we don't even need to fear that. So yes, it might be a different picture than the nice shepherd with his staff and the sheep, but it's a good image to have. Our shepherd comes with a sword. It's also good to remember the shepherd was struck by the sword of the Lord himself so that we could enter into his fold. He was pierced for our transgressions. and in all that dynamic and the wrestle that we have I think with God but also with family and friends and in our own hearts. Read verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will find it. Now Sunday school kids are in this morning and our upper primary kids and some of our youth We had a big crowd last night, we had fifteen of us down there playing Kelly Paul, everyone had a ball each. It was great. But young or old, where is it we go looking for our life today? Looking for life and joy. We look to our friends, our family, our social media, the news, our work, our health and vitality, which for some of us we feel fragile and failing. Or do we say with Paul that to live is Christ but to die is gain? That our lives are actually hid with Christ in God, not in this world and not in the things of this world. There's a warning here, isn't there, from Jesus? And I ask that question, where do we look for life? Not to make us feel guilty but to make us think about what it is and where it is we're looking for and trying to find life. And it comes with the warning, because if we look for life and we try to cling to life here in this world, we're actually going to lose it. We're going to cling to something empty, something that cannot hold us, something that cannot give life. But if we hold fast to Christ and the promises of God in him, we will find life and we will not lose it. As I said, each of us here have an ego and we don't want to lose that because just by nature of the fallen flesh we don't want our ego to die. Christian believer or not, it's a battle we face every day, isn't it? Am I going to lose my life or find it in Christ? Am I going to hold on to what I think is life or am I going to look to Christ and trust Him? How much of your anger... Is because you don't get your own way. How much of your anxiety or depression is connected to things that don't go your way and you can't control? You're actually trying to cling to the things of this life and not cling to Christ. I know how it is because that rises up in my heart. I've just got to miss the wordle for a day and my big long streak is gone. (laughs) Or I can't get my jobs done can't reach the bottom of the list because there's other things that are happening and the anger rises up and my ego is exposed for the world to see or not if I can keep it contained just a bit longer do you know what it's like, like that you struggle with that too or is it just me because my agenda is more important than Christ isn't it or is it And yet in his mercy and his grace and his love for us, even as our sinful flesh resists putting off our old self and putting that ego down, God actually teaches us and grows, even as we realise the anger's coming out, sometimes it's a cleansing thing and we need forgiveness for the hurt that it causes. But it's good to recognise just how sinful we are and how much we need a saviour. And God actually is growing us up. And as we shared, I think, Wednesday night, that you know, when God is purifying our faith, teaching us the secret of being content, and our faith comes out more precious than gold, well, when you melt and refine precious metal, the scum and all the muck has to come to the top, doesn't it? So you can get rid of it. That's what's happening in our own hearts sometimes as God is doing his work in us. Choose life, Moses told the people. And that's the choice we have every day, actually, in Christ. Choose life in him. Find it. Look elsewhere and you will lose it. Choose life because, verse 40, as we finish up, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple truly i say he will by no means lose his reward now we could get caught up in what all the rewards are here but i think the point is actually are you receiving christ is that where you look to for life because when you receive him all the promise of reward it just comes (laughs) you know it was the Christmas pageant in Adelaide yesterday great time of joy lots of people lining the streets all the floats all the music all the dancing little kids eager to see Santa watching as hearing all the groups go by singing carols and Christmas songs I thought it was a bit uncanny this week to have Halloween and Christmas pageant all in the space of one week One minute dressing up as ghosts and ghouls, the next minute just trying to get a glimpse of Santa. A bit uncanny, isn't it? Maybe the ignorance and blindness of our age. Maybe the deceit of sin in the world. Maybe just a lot of fun. But I wonder if Jesus went down King William Road yesterday on his donkey... Would Adelaide be crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David? Would they be saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord? And I wonder if Jesus would be weeping. Oh Adelaide, if you knew the things that make for peace. Every Christmas, I think, I wonder do we really know what we're singing? Does our nation know what we're singing? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Not reject him, not resist him, but receive him. He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Have you received the king of the world? Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't. Maybe you've got a heart filled with independence and that ego is living full bore in your life. Or maybe you have received Christ, but you've still got a heart and mind full of worry and fear. Or maybe you feel like one of those lost and lonely sheep and the wolves are surrounding you. Have no fear. Receive the Lord. You're of more value than many sparrows. Take up your cross and follow him. Receive him. Whoever finds his life in this world, you will lose it. But whoever loses your life for my sake, in him, you will find it. And no one will be able to take it away. There's joy to be had without fear. The Lord has come, our good shepherd receive your king and you will by no means lose your reward. Amen.